My name is JT English, and you are listening to Reclamation Worship. I'm Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Well, today's guest is JT English. JT serves as one of the pastors at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. JT and I had the opportunity to talk about discipleship and worship, so you're going to get to hear from JT in just a few moments. But before we head on over to the interview, I would just like to invite you to check out reclamationworship.com. It is newly redesigned and oh so fresh. I'm very excited about this new website. Uh, You'll be able to find all of the previously recorded episodes as well as show notes and all that good stuff, all the great information from previous guests. You'll also be able to check out some forthcoming features Uh, Well, you won't be able to check out the forthcoming features, but you'll be able to see the sections that are forthcoming. And um, I'm really excited about what all the website holds in store for you in the future. So be sure and check that out. Also, we are on Twitter at ReclamationHQ. We're on Instagram at ReclamationWorship and at ReclamationWorship on Facebook. All right, well, let's head on over to the interview. JT English, man, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Hey, man, what a joy. I've been looking forward to, to doing this with you for a while now, so glad to be Great. here. Great. JT and I uh, met in seminary, and um, JT, I, I'll have to say, um, I, I know uh, you owe your seminary education to me. I carried you on my back through class. There's uh, no doubt about it. Here's the thing. <laughs> I owe my seminary education about 20 people. I mean, it's just like, Especially those language courses, man. I, I I had a Hebrew professor tell me that I passed Hebrew by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> I don't and, believe and it. He, oh, I swear to you. And then he said, <laughs> he said, JT, how much skin do you have on your teeth? And I said, I don't have any skin on my teeth. I don't think. And he said, That's right. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, no, truth be known, uh, I think you're much younger than me. But man, I relied on you so much um, when I met you in. Uh, in one of our uh, systematic theology classes, um, and I heard your heart and got to know you. I was just so humbled by you, and um, and so mm-hmm. you. Uh, I, I just want you to know um, how appreciative I am for you, not only for your ministry and how much I gained from that now, but back in those seminary days, just how encouraging you were, and um, how much I learned from you back then. And so uh, I really see you as one of the people that the Lord used strategically in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those dark days of seminary. So uh, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, brother. Well, that, that, thank you so much. That is so kind of you. I can testify that it's pure grace. I mean, my friends that know me pre-seminary, uh, if they if they would have hear you talking about like talking about wow. me like that, they would say, who, who are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> well, that's, the Lord is just kind and merciful. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Evidence of his work in your life for sure. So uh, you know. JT, any podcast worth its weight, uh, breaks news. And so I, I don't know if you're willing to play along here, but uh, we've, we've not broken any news here at Reclamation Worship. So I'm just wondering if you're ready and willing to tell the world what JT stands for. 
I'm, I'm, of course, I'm ready and willing. My name stands for John Thomas English the third. The third. All right. Uh, yeah. So my grandfather is is the is the the real OG JT English. <laughs> and my dad, and actually my son Thomas is John Thomas English the fourth. Wow. Okay. So I couldn't I couldn't stand to to break the tradition. And uh, my wife, before she found me attractive or like as husband material, she said she liked my name. She's like, oh, that's a good name. I, I can be married to somebody like that. I'm like, what about me? You, you know? <laughs> Apparently, my name is better than I. Well, I guess that's true. My name is better than I am. But my, well, my wife said that my is more attractive than I was. So I love it. I, I love I got it. That going for me. Well, thanks, man, for for breaking that here on uh, Reclamation Worship. I really appreciate that. Uh, so any break, any break news? Great. Uh, you serve at uh, the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. Before you tell us what you do there and uh, a little bit about how you came to Flower Mound and the Village Church, is there an actual mound of flowers in Flower Mound, Texas? There is. Okay. Here's what's crazy. I didn't know that until two years ago. I lived here for four years now, and I didn't know that. And I was going to a grocery store the other day, or I guess it was two years ago now, and I saw it. Okay. And right. you build on it. You can do nothing on it. There is the Flower Mound. Wow. Okay. It's excellent. like it's like three feet higher than the rest of the ground here. It's not a mountain by any stretch, but it's a mound. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Very nice. Well, thanks. So two scoops today on reclamation worship. Very appreciative of that. Um, so what do you do at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas? Yeah, I feel like I have my dream job. I'm so blessed and fortunate. This is a job that uh, I dreamed of and thought might exist someday, but I didn't know it existed. So I've been here for four years now, and my title is the pastor of the Village Church Institute. And so the Institute uh, is basically a fancy way of saying Christian education in the life of the local church. So any kind of education we're doing specifically for adults, whether that's curriculum or resources or a forum or a class or a Bible study, our residency program, our training program, I oversee those environments. Okay. And so we've tried to think intentionally about a scope and sequence of discipleship, trying to move people from pagan to pastor. And so when I came to faith uh, in, in college, I, I went to my local church first to be discipled. Mm-hmm. And my local church sent me to seminary uh, because they didn't feel equipped to, to disciple me. And I, I don't mean that in any, I'm not frustrated with them. It's not critical of them. But I've, I've often thought back to that conversation with my pastor and I wondered what would it look like if instead of him saying, oh, you want to be a pastor, you need to go to seminary. If he said, oh, you want to be a pastor, you need to be in the local church. Mm. I've tried to take all the best of what I learned in school. I'm so grateful for my education, but to, to bring it here to people who don't have opportunity or access to okay. go to seminary. Yeah. And to, I want to see leaders raised up in the life of our church. Great. Excellent. So, um, what, so I grew up in the church, uh, was there pretty much every Sunday, Wednesday, uh, from the time I was in my mother's womb. Um, and I had a faithful pastor who preached the scriptures, but I just, I don't remember hearing the word discipleship a lot, uh, growing up. And so it just seems like over the last 10 years or so, this word has come in vogue and, uh, and, and we have heard this word mentioned a lot, almost to the point where it means everything and nothing at the same time because we, we hear it so much. Right. Um, so will you just briefly explain what discipleship is? Yeah. So the way I understand discipleship, and I'm grateful that that word is coming into vogue. If anything's going to come into vogue, I, I want that too, but I do want to define it and I want to make sure that it doesn't mean nothing. Right. I think discipleship be, means by the power of the Holy Spirit shaped and conformed into the image of Jesus in right. every aspect of our lives. It's our hearts. That's our minds, that's our instincts, that's our actions, 
trying to shape and form the life of Jesus in us. Very good. So where do we get our mandate to be disciple makers? Yeah, so I mean, obviously we get it. In the, I mean, I think the first place to go would be the Great Commission, thinking about Jesus giving this mandate to his followers uh, to go make image bearers of me. Go make people who look and act and speak and think and have instincts like Jesus, Matthew chapter 28. But I think we're missing the point if we think that it's only there. Okay. Ultimately, the call to discipleship is a call uh, that is given to us on the first pages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, in the cultural mandate, mm. where God says to uh, his creatures, go, be fruitful and multiply, bear my image to mm. all of the world, take my glory, take my uh, what I am like, cultivate the good life, cultivate rich godliness everywhere you go. So ultimately, as Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he's echoing this call that's been given to humanity from our very first days to be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. Uh, so good. And, and that makes me think that um, we are all making disciples. I guess it just comes down to what kind of disciples are we making? Um, are yeah, we making right. image bearers of God or are we <clears throat> making some, some other kind of image bearer? That's right. And one of the things we say at the village is you can not not be discipled. Uh, you're being discipled by something. You're living your vision of the good life. Uh, is it the vision that Jesus has for you? Wow, that's good. Uh, real quick, wh- why don't you talk about the makeup of your classes? Who who are the people that are um, participating in these classes at the Village Church? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think um, one of the things that I think has historically been maybe confusing for people in the life of the local church Uh, that are involved in education is why am I going? Like, what's the end result? What's the learning outcome? So we've tried to think really clearly about the learning outcomes and who should be in our environments. And so we've created environments for people who were like me in college. Like I knew nothing. I'm not like you. I did not grow up in the church. I, uh, my first, my, when I went to Dallas seminary and then Southern, like I didn't like my first theology class was like the first time I was hearing these words. Like it was, it was baptism by fire for me. Wow. And so we're trying to create environments for people like that who just, gosh, I don't, like, I didn't, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I didn't know, like, the Bible timeline or, like, the story. I didn't know the story of David and Goliath. There's this huge Christian debate of, should you read this as, like, a moral story? Or should you read this as, you know, this Jesus-centered, Christ-centered? And I was like, I don't even know the story. Mm. Like, wow. I, I just was so familiar with biblical stories that, that we're trying to create environments that just help people who, who have just come to faith in our community begin to orient themselves around the story of the Bible, basic Christian doctrines, and basic Christian spiritual disciplines. So Jen Wilkin oversees those environments for us, okay. and we say that we're trying to teach them at an eighth grade reading level. Just anybody who can come in off the streets, we want you to have an accessible environment to learn. We also have an environment called the training program. This is where we're trying to kind of raise up our first crop of leaders. We have a few hundred people in it each year. It's a year long, fairly intense discipleship program. They're writing doctrinal statements. They're uh, memorizing scripture. They're going through the whole Bible in a year. They're, they're going through major systematic theologies. And then we also have a residency program. And this is where we're raising up our elders and deacons. We're trying to, uh, you know, I, I talk with Matt about this fairly regularly, Matt, Matt our pastor, mm-hmm. uh, that 10 years ago when kind of the church planning movement started blowing and going, there was church planters on, they're falling off trees. You know, you right. wanted to plant a church everywhere. The reality is the farm is pretty low right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we don't want to have a residency program that just brings people in from the outside. I want to raise people up here who right. are at the village. 
church. And so the vision I have, and I don't know if the Lord's going to do this or, you know, but it's possible that the next lead pastor of this church after, after Matt leaves, hopefully, and you know, not for the next 30 or 40 years, who knows what the Lord's going to do, but maybe that person isn't even a Christian right now. Mm. Think about that. What if the guy that's going to be the lead pastor of the village church preaching and teaching and leading and discipling the people here in 30 years is somewhere in flower mound. Maybe he's, maybe he's at a coffee shop down the street Mm. lost as a goose. Right. He's going to come to faith in the next few years, going to get involved in some of our environments. He's going to be discipled. He's going to be trained. He's going to get a Christian worldview. He's going to begin to understand Christian theology, have the opportunity to teach and preach and maybe be a pastor here someday, or maybe even sent out as a church planter. And so we really have this vision of how do you take somebody like me who knows nothing, Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing and build as a disciple in the context of the church without having to export that to anybody else. That's great. That's great. Real quick, um, I, I've heard your story before, but for those listening who may not be familiar with you, how did the Lord save you? How did you uh, hear the gospel yeah. and, and get saved? I, uh, I was randomly placed with a roommate at Colorado State University, and he was absolutely persistent about inviting me to a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And I just had zero desire to go, like, like less than zero. I just did not understand why people would go to a Bible study in college. But he kept asking. So finally, I was like, I'm just going to get this guy off my back. I'll go. We were in the basement of a dorm okay. uh, there on campus. It was in the laundry room. And if it felt like kind of like a horror movie. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> why would you host a Bible study in the basement of a dorm? And like, are you gonna be, you, is this a cult? Are you going to kill me? Right. Man, they opened their Bibles to the book of Jonah. I couldn't find Jonah because, again, I didn't know my Bible at all. Hmm. And a guy opened the Bible there for me. And for the first time I heard about God's grace to sinners who Hmm. were disobedient. And I was just, I didn't have a category for grace. Um, I only had categories for merit and for earning and for favor. And the leaders could clearly tell that I was disoriented by this new category. And he invited me to lunch the next day. And I hadn't accepted the gospel yet. I didn't know it, but I was blown away by grace. Wow. And he sat me down. He bought me a Whopper. I'm in the middle of eating a Whopper from Burger King. And he says, this is, this is verbatim. He pull, pulls out the four spiritual laws and he says, I'm supposed to read this with you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love the, the confidence. Uncompelling, uncompelling, botched, awkward presentation of the gospel the Lord saved me. Wow. I mean, it just was wow. a beautiful message I had ever heard mm. that God loved me, that despite my sin, he had a plan for my life. He had provided a way for me to enjoy him and enjoy eternal life through Christ if I would accept him as my savior. I mean, it just felt like the heavens opened wow. Wow. and God's grace and poured out upon me. So this is not a joke. I had a, I had a whopper in my mouth in <laughs> the Lord's prayer, you know? I love it. And, my life was just radically different ever since. And, uh, and the Lord's just merciful. That's so good. And, and so I think that might be an argument for, uh, there being whoppers on the new earth. Do you think, is there a chance? Maybe, maybe whoppers, definitely fries. I love Burger King fries. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And it's not by accident that they include an onion ring, one onion ring in every order of fries. Doesn't that happen? It's like, what are you guys doing? But yeah, Hey, I, I think it's a marketing trick, but <laughs> I don't know. So that, thank you for sharing your story. Um, yeah. Praise God for for his faithfulness, even in our uh, meager attempts at evangelism. So that is, I tell people every time that methods don't matter. Mm-hmm. God saves people. You just put the gospel on your lips when you can, as the yeah. Lord leads you, and he saves people. 
Amen. Oh, that's so encouraging, man. Thank you so much. So JT, why do you think there has been, and, and so I'm willing to admit it could just be that discipleship was preached for my entire childhood and I just missed it. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think the word was, uh, was on the lips of people when I was growing up, but I could be wrong. Um, but if I'm right, why do you think there has been this renewed interest in disciple making and, and this uh, reintroduction of the word discipleship? Man, I don't know. That's a really good question. What I'll, I, I think I have an answer, but it's a fairly subjective answer. Sure. And I think I would say that a lot of people realize that we're really, really busy in ministry, but I'm not sure we've been effective in ministry. Mm. And so you've got churches that, and my, my wife's story is similar to yours, that she grew up in the church. Dad was a pastor, went to DTF. I mean, just a faithful, faithful guy mm. uh, for so many years. But at the same time, I think he would probably tell us that he spent a lot of his time in ministry busier and not effective. Okay. And I think you have a, a generation of pastors, whether they be older or younger, of people asking themselves, what exactly are we doing? Mm. Are we busy with ministry or are we making disciples? And there's a bit of a, at least in my experience with some of uh, the pastors around me, there's a bit of a reevaluation going on, okay. uh, both in their personal lives and in my personal life, but also in their philosophies and in their practices and saying, look, we've been doing this the same way for a long time. And I'm not sure we're experiencing the fruit that either we once did or we thought we would. And so we're trying to get back to the core of what we feel like the local church is supposed to be doing. The local church is not supposed to be just perpetuating its own ministries. The local church is to be making disciples. And so I think we're trying to ask that question is, is what we're doing, is it doing it? Is it effective? Mm -hmm. Have we made image bearers of Jesus or have we just kept the church open? So... Jesus gave this command to his disciples, the 11, back in Matthew 28. You mentioned that earlier. Um, if it was issued to those 11, then are we all called to be disciple makers, or is that just for the select number of really special people? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it depends if if we're only going to take it as that text only. But like I said earlier, I think this is a text given to humanity in Genesis chapter 1 that, that all of, of, uh, of, of us who are created in Adam's and then in Christ's image are called to this task of being fruitful and multiplying. One of the things we talk a lot about at the village is the last thing that I want my preaching ministry or teaching ministry or the institute to be about is having information or biblical or theological knowledge stop with you mm -hmm. because it is meant to make its way out of you. And so I would say that actually in the definition of being a disciple is making more disciples. Okay. In other words, I'll say, I'll say this as strongly as I can, but hopefully graciously, if you're not making disciples, then you aren't a disciple. Now, that's not to say I'm not trying to make a soteriological claim or a claim about salvation. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying inherent and core with this idea of being a follower of Jesus right. is creating more followers of Jesus. It's just, it's baked into the definition. So what is the connection? You mentioned evangelism in your story and, and how uh, the guy that you had lunch with shared the four sp spiritual laws with you. What is the connection between evangelism and discipleship? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been thinking a little bit about that. I preached on Matthew 28 uh, a few months ago now. And one of the analogies that I tried to use is that evangelism and then regeneration, new life is like being an orphan and then being adopted. Like you're, or you're going from not being a part of the family of God to being a part of the family of God. 
And that's something that I think the church celebrates well, and I'm grateful for. Again, I just shared my story, man. I, I, I cannot thank the Lord enough for mm. uh, that brother sitting down with me and botching a gospel presentation, but the Holy Spirit using it to bring me new life. Right. Um, praise the Lord. And the church needs to celebrate that and we need to be about the work of evangelism. Right. While at the same time, that's not the sole work of discipleship. Discipleship doesn't just include moving from orphan to adopted son and daughter it now moves from being adopted son and daughter to adulthood and maturity into growing into being mature men and women followers of Christ. And so I think my, at least my short experience in evangelicalism and in the life of the church is that churches are typically good at one or the other. Okay. Like we celebrate new life through baptism. We celebrate new life through an evangelistic preacher, but then the people kind of stay in the pews and they stay at the same level of spiritual maturity for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I mean, what a tragedy, right? Right, right. Be adopted into a family, but never move out of the house, right. never grow, never mm. adopt the family name and become like your father and mother, but to stay a child your whole life, mm. that's a tragedy. Yeah. Or at the same time, the other end of that spectrum is, is you just, uh, you, you value growing in maturity so much that you're never reproducing yourself mm. and you're never seeing new children being born into the family. And so my hope for the local church is that we would be both passionate about seeing men and women move from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's son. But then as they're moved into the kingdom of God's son, growing into mature followers of Jesus, not uh, complacent in staying in our infancy and our childhood, but growing into mature followers of Christ who are seeing our lives reproduced in new believers. So I've heard you say that discipleship driven by the gospel is governed by the authority of scripture. Can you explain what you mean by that? That's a great question. I, uh, I, I said that. I believe that. I definitely, I definitely. So one of the topics I'm most passionate about is biblical authority. It's what I wrote. I wrote my doctoral uh, thesis on uh, while I was at Southern. And I'm just not sure that there's a more important category for Christians to rediscover than biblical authority. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I was convinced of then now spending uh, a little over four years post that project and spending time preaching, teaching, and just doing the work of a local church pastor. I'm still convinced that the category of biblical authorities, perhaps the most important category for Christians to rediscover, to reform, to redevelop, and to continually be committing ourselves to one of the things that as a local church practitioner that I find myself thinking about a lot and not having an answer to is that I imagine that most of the people who are listening to this podcast, hopefully all of them, confess and believe uh, that the, the, the scripture's origin is God and that he has inspired this text for us. He's given it to us for life and for godliness and that it is inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, it's clear. And that if they're local church pastors or missionaries or ministers or members of local churches, that their church or their ministry probably has a doctrinal statement about biblical authority. Mm -hmm. Here's what blows my mind. Why are we so biblically illiterate? Like I cannot solve that problem. Why is our confessional theology not match up with my functional experience? Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to figure out is it seems like we have a line on our website about biblical authority, but we're failing to practice it in our lives and our ministries. Mm -hmm. And again, this is me being, <laughs> I, I, one of the benefits about not growing up in the church is I feel like I still kind of have an outsider's perspective. Sure, yeah. I'm just confounded by this. The mm -hmm. more studies that come out from Lifeway or Ligonier, and if you're not familiar with these studies, I encourage you to look them up, is evangelicals in the church has never been more biblically uninformed or theologically illiterate than we are today. Mm -hmm. 
but yet all of our churches are confessing biblical authority. Mm. How does that happen? And so what I'm trying to do when I say biblical authority and discipleship have this interrelationship and this kind of connection is to say, there is no such thing as being a disciple of Jesus that is not governed by Jesus's authoritative word. And I'll maybe, I'll maybe even say it just one more time, simply like, you can't say the Bible is authoritative if you don't know what's in it. How can you say that you're submitting yourself to it if you don't even know what it is? That's good. And yet we've got churches uh, that are taking a hard line against and, and running from the authority of Scripture. It's a tragedy. It is. I mean, it, Jesus's hope and his desire for his church, he is our ascended Lord, and he's reigning and ruling through his word today. Right. This isn't just a archaic document. It's his word for the church now. He's speaking it to us today. Amen. So Jesus said that we should teach the disciples that we make to observe all that he commanded. And that word all can be a little daunting. Yeah. I mean, the challenging thing about that word all is other places in the gospel. It says there's lots of things that Jesus said that aren't recorded here. Right. right. So right. we don't, we don't need to teach all Jesus said because he said a lot of things that we don't have access to. So right. I think what that's referring to, or at least what it's alluding to is this idea that the great commandment and the great commission walk hand in hand mm. and that to teach people that the great commission is separate from the great commandment. And just to refresh people's memory, this idea that Jesus said that all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this, that we should love the Lord, our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves mm. in this, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled that there is no great commission that isn't coupled with the great commandment. I believe it was Dallas Willard who said the great commi- the great commission without the great commandment is the great omission. Mm. And so this idea, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying a minute ago is, is we can't just have people moving from being orphans to being adopted, but right. we also have to now encourage people that like, like I don't get to live on yesterday's laurels of my theological education I want to love God with all my mind today. Yeah. Not just yesterday, not the day before, not because I'm earning favor, but because I don't have to. Right. That this is a God who is who is who is in his grace and in his mercy accomplished everything on my behalf. Why would I not want to keep learning and thinking and dwelling and considering who this God is? He's right. infinite. And so it's again loving God is not a or learning about him isn't a matter of earning. It's I want to learn about him because I don't have to earn anything. That's so good. It, you you mentioned in your podcast, uh, one of the episodes, um, about how theological endeavors or the study of God should be the most exciting thing. To us. I'm paraphrasing. You may not have used those exact words, but I, I know you're passionate about theological education and study. Wow. Talk about that for a minute. Oh, yeah. This is, I, I, for a minute, I got an hour. Now. <laughs> I've got an hour. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, this is, this is, this is my soapbox. Yeah. I, um, and I'm going to sound like a frustrated critic. I don't mean to. No, you Something don't. Something that's just weird, kind of a, a new, uh, when I was a new believer, is like, I got, I'm not a smart person, Jason. I, when I tell you, people don't believe me, I said, I got into college on probation. I cheated my way through high school. Like, I just, I didn't read a book in high school. Like, I just, uh, and it wasn't, I just didn't care. And again, right. I, I was unregenerate, lost as a goose. Mm. And all of a sudden, the Lord saves me, and I just couldn't stop consuming theology. And so when I hear pastors and preachers or missionaries or people talk about the impracticality of theology, right. I don't know what they mean. I'm like, wait a minute. Theology just means what God has revealed about himself. Mm. If, if God exists, which I believe he does, and if I believe he's revealed himself in scripture and in Christ, I just can't conceive of anything more practical. Mm. Like 
when we think about theology being impractical and heady and divorced from the life of the believer, I just want to know what theologies they're reading because it's a really bad theologian, right? Right, right, exactly. The theology that I've been exposed to has been the most practical stuff I can I can think of. Mm. Um, and, and, and I know one of the things you're passionate about and one of the goals of this podcast is considering the life of worship. Yeah. Uh, like, in, at least my experience in the church is that we have kind of created a wedge unintentionally, maybe intentionally, between theology and doxology. Mm. And I tell the folks in the training program and in the institute, I say, these are two sides of the same coin. All theology leads us to doxology. Right. And doxology doxology ought to lead us back to theology. There is no such thing as a theological life that is not a worshipful life. Mm. There is no such thing as a, as a true worshipful life that is not fueled and governed by Christian theology. And so again, if, if, uh, if you've been listening to a pastor or preacher or theologian that bores you, find a new theologian because right. theology <laughs> is exciting. It's practical. It's on the ground. Like it, it uh, and I, again, I could talk about that forever, but for me, if, if the definition of theology is wor- God's words about God, yeah, I just, I, I want to, we do a conference here from time to time at the village and I, I tell pastors this, I tell them, if you can, if you can tell me something more practical, tell me and right. I'll go do that. Right. Like, I want to give my life something that matters and that is meaningful. And I've yet to have a pastor be able to do it. Mm. If we're defining theology as words about God, I, again, I want to do something that matters. Right. I want to do something that's meaningful. That's why I do what I do. If there's something more practical or better to give your life to, I'll go do that. But for me, theology has been the pinnacle of that. JT, thanks for mentioning the idea of worship uh, and theology, the connection there. Could you talk about the connection between discipleship and worship? Yeah, I think it's, it's much the same, is that the life of discipleship isn't just this call to like a head in the clouds or head in the books. It's a life that is one that is governed by love. I love Mm. Jonathan Edwards here that ultimately uh, the hope of the Christian life is one of love, is one of affections, not just the changed mind, but it's a changed heart Mm. that we can't help but love things. Like we are are, uh, made to worship. We are made to love. And the life of discipleship is cultivating and curating the right kinds of loves. Mm that we wouldn't be loving aimlessly, but we'd be loving only the triune God. Uh, one of the things we talk about in the training program when we, when we teach Trinitarianism is I tell the students the most important question that you're ever going to ask and answer for yourself is the question, what do you love? Mm-hmm. What you love is the most important question you're ever going to answer. And the Bible suggests in John 17, 3, that the aim of the Christian life is the love and worship of the triune God. You, uh, you are passionate about Trinitarianism. What, uh, what has uh, ignited that fire under, underneath you? And you and I share that. Uh, that is something that, that uh, I'm very driven by as well. So for you, what, what sparked that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, this is something else that's maybe just been weird for me. Is like people talk about Trinitarianism as if it's like an add-on to the doctrine right. of God, like an attribute or it's like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Trinitarianism is God. Right. Like we're talking about ontology. God is Trinity. If you're talking about a God that isn't Trinity, tell me what God you're talking about because you're not talking about the God of the Bible. Right. There is no God except the triune God. And so if you're using the term God and you can't substitute the term Trinity, I'm just not 
I'm not sure who you're talking about. Right. Because it's not the God that I find in Scripture. And so the God that's revealed himself in the Bible is the God who is Father, who is Son, who is Spirit, three distinct persons, but one beautiful, loving, eternal essence. And so uh, Trinitarianism for me is kind of this uh, foundation or cornerstone from which all other Christian doctrine flows and from which the entirety of the Christian life flows. If uh, if your listeners are interested in reading books about the Trinity, we use uh, Michael Reeves's book, Delighting in the Trinity, okay. in the training program. A lot of the folks who end up leaving the training program begin using this book as like a discipleship 101 book. It just, it grounds the entire Christian life in the life of God's triunity. And it's just, it's devotional, it's worshipful, it's really incredible. So uh, I conceive of every other Christian doctrine only after I've considered God as Trinity. So you've said disciples have been adopted by God, disciples are being formed by God, and disciples are empowered by God for life and mission. Can you take just a minute or two to flesh out those three points for us? Yeah. Can I do it in Trinitarian language? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> and so even there, you know, if we if we move from being adopted to formed to empowered we see god's triunity i think in those in those categories that god the father has adopted us so that we would be his sons and daughters and his goal and intent and purpose is to shape and to form the image of the son in us that we would be christ bearers and image him to the nations to our neighborhoods to our families and friends our co-workers that the image of jesus would be evident and present in our lives and that only happens by the empowering work of the holy spirit that the, the holy spirit is is god's seal and deposit in us and it's not a separate spirit it is the spirit of christ that god is accomplishing this work as he indwells us by the power of the holy spirit and empowers us for life and mission very good. So JT, as we come to the conclusion of this, just wanted to ask, and, and so first part uh, for pastors, I wanted you to speak to pastors who may be listening to this and thinking, yeah, I need to be more proactive with my congregation and and uh, helping them to catch the vision of discipleship. Any words, and I know that this could be a, a, a week-long seminar that you could give on this, but any uh, practical steps for them uh, that they could implement in the, into their ministry at church? Yeah, that's a great question, and I probably would answer this differently depending on, you know, each 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 congregation is different, each yeah. context is different. The thing that I do not want people to think is that they need to create an institute. That's what we did here because it made sense here. It might not make sense in your context or other contexts, so don't think to yourself, look, I'm a local church pastor, I'm bivocational, I'm already, you know, burning both uh, ends of the can. I can't, I can't do that. Don't. Uh, I think some of the practical steps I would encourage, whether you're the pastor of a mega church or you're part or you're you're one of the pastors at a mega church, or whether you are, you know, a church planter and you're just getting things off the ground. Um, my encouragement to you would be think theologically and intentionally about what you're already doing. You do not need to add a bunch of programs or classes or forums or residencies. Do you sing worship songs? If the answer is yes, are those songs theologically and biblically informed? Do you preach sermons? If the answer is yes, be intentional about the theological language you're using. Be intentional about the biblical language you're using. Do not create false dichotomies between the life of the mind and the life of the heart. And also, I mean, this is something I wish I could talk about this forever. I won't. But some of the work that I have to do in my job is undoing the work of of well-meaning, intentional worship songs. Uh, if we're singing worship songs that are creating biblical illiteracy, mm. 
then we shouldn't be singing them. Right. If we're preaching sermons that need to be undone in a class, then we shouldn't be doing them. And that's what I love about being at the village is that's that's just not the case. But people come to us from other churches often from 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 some other church that is the case. And so do not over this 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 does not need to be over torqued. Mm-hmm. We need to overthink this. We just need to be distinctively Christian in the things that we're doing. Very good. So what about for your average uh, layperson who finds himself in the pew every week, uh, who hears this, uh, this discussion on discipleship and says, yeah, I want to do that. How about for them? Easy first steps. I think the first thing I would say is be really compassionate and gracious to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think when I talk to people in our church, they, and they begin to kind of think in this, these categories, they can realize how far they want to go mm-hmm. and they realize that they're not there yet. And that's just always going to be true for all of us, right? There's always another book to read. There's always another sermon to hear. There's always more things to do. And just God does not love us because we know more theology. God does not love us because we have right theology or wrong theology. God loves us because he's chosen before the foundations of the world to love us in Christ. So just take a deep breath, be really compassionate and gracious to yourself. And then the the most important thing I did in my theological journey was to do theology with friends. You will not be able to do this by yourself. So get a group of like-minded brothers and sisters who are interested in doing this with you. I mean, I I mean, you know this, Jason, when we were at DTS, I would hear some of the most life-changing classes, uh, just paradigm shifting. If that's true, I need to start living life differently. Uh, lectures. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that really sunk in, not during the lecture, but when I went home and started talking to my dorm mates or my friends about what I just heard, and that's where the theology really began to take root. Right. So theology is meant to be done in the context of community. So whether that's a spouse or a friend or a brother or sister, just, just grab somebody else, link arms with them and start doing this together. JT, thank you so much for your time today. Is, is there any project that you're working on right now that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. So uh, maybe a couple. I'm preaching this week. We got Advent Sermon Series. I'll be preaching on the prophets and their hope and expectation for a coming Messiah. So that's what I was doing before this, and I'll probably be doing this uh, for into the night. I'm really, I've never preached an Advent Sermon before, so I'm excited to, to do that. I, I'm also working on a book proposal, actually. So one of the things that I'm uh, always a little frustrated by as a theologian in the church is it's really hard for me to find good systematic theologies that I think people in our church can read. Okay. And so I thought to myself, what if we wrote one? Mm. And so I, 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 uh, I don't intend for this book to be written for the academy or to be written for, uh, uh, you know, my doctoral supervisor would probably be frustrated with me because it's not going to have <laughs> lots of notes and that kind of stuff. But I want, I want my mom who is a new believer to mm. be able to read it. I want, I want her friends to be able to read it because they are theologians too. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about what it look like to write a rich, like this is not a theology for dummies. I don't want to, I don't want to dumb anything down. I want to keep the rich tradition that's been handed down to us, but create it in a form that, uh, that more believers might be able to have access to. We'll be looking forward to that. Brother, thanks so much for your time. I hope you have a great uh, Advent and uh, we'll be praying for you. What a joy, brother. Thanks so much. Good to chat with you. All right, you as well. Well, I'm very thankful to JT for taking the time to uh, visit us here at Reclamation Worship. Please visit reclamationworship.com for the show notes to this episode. And check us out on Twitter, at ReclamationHQ, on Instagram, at Reclamation Worship, and on Facebook, at Reclamation Worship. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.